you this morning. Um, I suppose I need to release the young disciples officially now. So young disciples. Oh, what did I say? Oh, that's pre-service. Antioch kids. It's been, it's been a minute. Uh, Antioch kids. You can go to your classes and together we all say you are sent. Well, it is a joy to be here with you this morning to open God's word and to see what the Spirit has to teach us through it. You know, I say that every time I preach, uh, but this morning it rings a little bit truer. Oh, shoot. A little bit truer in my heart because I'm here with you in person, the church that I love so dearly. Amen. We love you. Oh, no. <laughs> So I'm going to try to make it through this, y'all. Um, yeah, it's, it's really a joy to be here with you, to open God's Word and to see what the Spirit has to teach us through it. We're going to go uh, together, and I'm just going to try and keep it together. <laughs> if I run out of water, I might ask for some more. All right, so we've all heard expressions like this, follow your heart, live your truth. Right, we've all heard this. There, there are these common choruses in our in our co- culture today. Uh, that's everywhere, like Hollywood, celebrities, self-help books, social media, even sometimes making its way in the back door of the church. Is this idea that our hearts are like a trusted guide, a compass that will lead us to true fulfillment and joy if we just follow them, if we just do what feels right. But the truth is, our hearts can't be trusted. The Bible tells us, actually, that they're deceitful and they're bent towards sin. And in our text this morning, we're going to read that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's a big claim, right? And I like to think that I'm an exception to that. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm so sanctified. But if I really look inward, if I'm honest with myself, I know that I am no exception. That apart from the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit in me, my heart is a total mess. And so this morning, we're going to look together at an Old Testament passage that describes this heart dilemma. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Jeremiah 17. We're going to be spending most of our time in verses 5 to 10, but I'll dance around it a little bit to give some context. Our main idea this morning is don't trust yourself, trust in God so you may persevere. Don't trust yourself, trust in God so you may persevere. And there are two contrasting pictures in our passage this morning, so I'm going to break down the sermon in that same way. First, we're going to see don't trust yourself. We'll see that played out in verses 5 and 6. And then in verses 7 and 8, we will see trust in God. And then third, we're going to talk about why we can't trust our hearts. And we'll see that played out in verses 9 and 10. So with that said, let's dive into our passage. If you are physically able, I ask that you would stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Again, our passage today is Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. God, right now, I feel woefully inadequate for the task that you've put before me. And so, Spirit, I I pray that you would help me speak with clarity. Spirit, I ask that you would come and you would illumine our minds so that we could understand your word and that you would soften our hearts so that we can apply it in obedience and faith. And we ask all of this for Christ's glory. Amen. Amen. So when I think of a person that uh, trusts in the Lord, whose, whose trust is in the Lord, I think of my wife Carrie. And, you know, I could give a, a bunch of examples of this, but let me give just one for the sake of time. Y'all don't want to be here past lunch. So as many of you guys know, our Sam Bam, our Samuel, had a pretty rough start. And even before his, his cranial surgery, um, he... he had an infection that almost caused his body to turn into sepsis, to cause his body to be, to be septic. And he was only a couple weeks old, and I know many of you in this room walked with that uh, challenge with us. You, you walked through that challenging season with us. And so he had so many tubes and wires coming and going everywhere that you could barely even see his face. And at, at one point, late in the evening, a doctor came in and he told Carrie and I that we should prepare ourselves for a pretty difficult night because Sam's intestines were, were starting to perforate. And if that happened, his body was at really high risk of poisoning itself. So the doctor told us, literally, these are the words he used, brace for impact. Brace for impact, because if that happened, he likely wouldn't make it through the night. And so as you can imagine, as as any parent would feel in that situation. We were ruined. We were ruined. But it was in that moment, you know, the Lord gives us these sometimes, where we have a a full realization that this situation is completely out of our hands. Right? We're we're totally out of control. And so this, my friends, was was a true test of faith. And Carrie, through all of it, so helpfully reminded me not in a, in a Christian platitude way, but in a genuine way that in all things, even this, God is still good, God is still sovereign, God is still wise. And she reminded me of the lyrics of that hymn we just sang, It is well with my soul. And that really became our anthem for that season. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and this next line described us, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, her roots run deep 
And so when intense heat was like all we felt, she continued to put her trust in the Lord. And because of her trust, not in herself, not ultimately in doctors or in medicine, but in the Lord's goodness, she would persevere no matter the outcome. And so as we suffered that night, we drew nearer to each other, we drew nearer to our Father in heaven, and He sustained and He upheld us. And He continues to sustain and uphold us. And so I think that's one application of this text. I'm just going to jump right to it. I think that's one application of our text here. Another, as we'll see, is that it's a call to turn from our sin and to, and to put our trust in the Lord. But let's take a look and, and see how we, how we get there. And because we're not going through Jeremiah right now, we're just jumping into a few verses, and next week we'll be jumping out. Let let me give a little context of what's going on in Jeremiah's world at the time when he wrote this. And so he's writing to the people of Judah, that's Israel's southern kingdom, and he's writing them, calling them back to faithful dependence on the Lord. Earlier in the book, he already used this this metaphor of adultery to describe uh, Judah's idolatry. And he warns the people of Judah of their coming punishment. And their coming punishment was exile into the hands of the Babylonians. And so the future for Judah, it ain't, it ain't looking good. And so when we arrive at today's passage, we've already seen Jeremiah call out the people of God for their idolatry, for their rejection of the Lord. And, and, and he calls them to repent, to remember their God, but they continued to reject Jeremiah's message, which meant they were rejecting God. And so by chapter 15, Jeremiah is a discouraged dude. He cries out to the Lord in his distress like this. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? After Jeremiah cries out to the Lord here, the Lord reassures him just a couple verses later. He says this, I am with you to save you and deliver you. The Lord ministered to Jeremiah and Jeremiah was recharged. And and he's modeling here what he's saying to us just a couple chapters later in our text this morning. He's quite literally practicing what he's preaching. And so this leads to our first main point this morning. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. The Lord gives us a picture here of two types of people with a really stark contrast. One who trusts in people or themselves and another who trusts in God. Let's read the first part of this movement again together. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. And for Judah, this was a reminder that relying on God, not man, was absolutely necessary for the covenantal agreement they had with with Yahweh, with God. But the message is clear for them and for us today. Bottom line, if you reject God and rely on your own strength and ingenuity or other people's strength and ingenuity, things will not go well for you. Having a heart that puts ultimate trust in in man is a heart that ultimately rejects God. Look at the second part. A heart that turns away from the Lord. Look, that's an active turning. 
a heart that is hard towards him. One that says, God, I don't need you in this situation. I don't need you. No thanks. And in Jeremiah's time, that was Judah's, uh, that was Judah's leaders that were trusting in their political allies to keep them safe from Babylon. But what is it for your context? I don't know your hearts. What, what, what is it for you? What are areas of your life where you find yourself putting greater trust in, in people or yourself or things other than the Lord? Or, or maybe just more than you need to. Is it, is it politicians? Big season coming up. Is it a career in success? Is it maybe how others would view your family as a picture-perfect example? Is it the praises of others? Is it the amount in your bank account? Whatever it is. I think this is a hard pill for us to swallow because it's so different from what we're bombarded with from the world every day. Follow your heart. Live your truth. If it feels right, it must be right. And even if you recognize those statements are the rubbish that they are, it's still a challenge for us because we're bombarded. But God says here that to do that is to reject Him. And our text says that having a heart that rejects in God results in living a life that's cursed. Oh, cursed. That's a big word. What, what, what does that mean? What does a cursed life look like? That's a word that... that I hear all the time in Grenada, it's like everybody's talking about curses all the time. Like if you're sick, oh man, I think I got a curse. If your house is, is leaking, if you have persistent housing issues, well, I think somebody uh, put a curse on us. If you're struggling with, with mental illness, you know, he used to be all right, but I think somebody put a curse on him. E- even in the church, people talking about generational curses like all the time. So what, what does the text mean, though? Let's go to the text and let's see what God is, is revealing to us about what a cursed life looks like. It says this in, first, in verse 6. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That makes you a little bit thirsty just thinking about it. God says that this kind of, of person is like a shrub whose roots don't even go deep enough to get water from the ground. He's he's not planted by the waters of God's grace. And so even when the rains of blessing come, they won't do him any good because that person is distant from God, not dependent on him for life. No good roots, no good fruit, no hope. And there's, there's just no spiritual life without the living water of God's grace. As, as Tanner so helpfully shared with us just a, a few weeks ago, he said to be blessed means that God is on our side, that he goes out with us, that he establishes the work of our hands. And so then the cursed life is the opposite of that, right? God is not on your side. God is against you. You're his enemy, And if God isn't with us, if he doesn't do it, then we're done for. Now raise your hand if you want to live a life like that. No way, right? Nobody wants to live a life like that. So so don't trust yourself. Look at this second type of person described here, starting in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. 
You see that contrast already? That's stark, right? Look at how twice this emphasizes trust in the Lord. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Look at the promises here. It says that those who who do trust in the Lord, they're not like that stunted, shallow-rooted shrub out in the desert. No, no. Faith and trust in God makes them like a firmly planted tree whose roots are deep and healthy. The person who puts their trust in God, not in man, not in self, not in government, not in economic stability or any of that stuff, is blessed. A blessed how? Blessed by not suffering. Blessed with good physical health. Blessed with good mental health. With full pockets. With a perfect marriage and children and a career that you love. Again, let's go to the text. The Lord says that those who trust in him are like a tree planted by water and does not fear when the heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Wait a minute. So there will still be heat and drought? You mean if I put my trust in the Lord, like it'll still be hard? There will still be seasons of our lives where we suffer? Yeah, your body and your mind will still suffer. Your marriage and parenting will be hard. Your singleness or stage of life may discourage you. You may struggle financially, and you may not like your job. An easy life is not what the Lord is promising here as the blessed life. That's not what he means by blessed. And so what does he mean? He means that that he is giving hope that though we suffer, he will be near you. He will sustain you. He will bear fruit in you like a tree planted by water. That's the blessed life. That's better than any financial stability or whatever we could think of. A Lord that is near And so how we respond now when we put our trust in God in the midst of heat and drought will look radically different than how we responded before we trusted him. Not because of anything in us, but because we have put our trust in him. And it's his sustaining power given to us that's part of that blessed life. Now, I don't think it's a stretch of the text here to think of this desert shrub in two ways. First, as an unbeliever, but I almost think there's a, I also think there's a second sense in which we as believers can have desert shrub responses to the challenges in our lives. Right? So when we don't respond the way that we should, when we trust in our, ourselves and our hearts, uh, turn from God in a specific situation, Or maybe when we just don't respond in in God-honoring ways. I think we can look an awful lot like that desert shrub. So what do we do with this? How do we understand that today? Uh, A lot of really helpful material has been written on this. But for our purposes today, here's what I think is happening in these two scenarios. In verse 8, we see heat. And so we can understand heat as any difficult situation in daily life. Right? Hardships, suffering, being sinned against, temptations, they all fall under that umbrella of heat. And so to the heat, 
The person, the believer, can respond in two ways, in desert shrub responses or in fruit tree responses. And so that desert shrub is the person who has ungodly, sinful responses to the heat. Their trust at that time is not in the Lord. And that fruit tree responses is that person who, in the midst of the heat, has godly responses. Their trust is firmly rooted in the Lord. And this is a result of God's power at work in our hearts. So our reactions are fruit. They're an overflow of a changed root renewed by God's grace. And so that's why when we're in the hospital with Sam, Carrie can, can say, God is good. It is well with my soul. And this is a reminder for us, I think, to stay close to the Lord during the challenges and the periods where we may feel spiritually dry. You know, sometimes when we're under attack, we've lost the joy of our salvation, and we've got this tendency, I think, built in, this tendency to withdraw from God. We choose not to, to pray. We choose not to read the word. We choose not to worship or, or, or gather with the church. And not until at least our desire for God returns. But that's like leaving the spring of living water to go out and die in a spiritual desert. And so if you're in a season like that, I urge you, don't leave the water's edge. And if you're not in a season like that now, you will be at some point. And I urge you to remember, don't leave the water's edge. Keep trusting. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep gathering with the church. Even if you don't feel much. Notice how the tree that's planted by water, it doesn't just stand there. Just like the cursed tree is an active turning. Look at this. This is an active sending. It says in the beginning of verse 8, it sends out its roots by the stream. That tree's alive, right? It stretches, it strains towards the grace made available through prayer, through the word, through worship. Keep sending out those roots towards the stream of God's grace. Keep reaching out for the living water. God will refresh you. He will keep your leaves green. He will continue to bear fruit in you when the heat and when the drought come. I think for us New Testament believers, this tree that's planted by water, I think it's a picture of the believer walking close to Jesus. We can read this time in in the Gospel of John where Jesus, he stood up in a crowd and he says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. To live like a tree described in Jeremiah is to live a life close to Jesus. He is the water of life, right? In Jesus Christ, there is water in times of heat and drought of our souls. And all who drink from his fountain will have eternal life. So don't trust your heart, trust God. Let's briefly go back to the statement I made earlier about not following our hearts. Like, why is it so bad to follow our hearts? We talked about the fact that, that it is wrong, that we shouldn't do it. <clears throat> Maybe the results of it, but we haven't talked about the why. And so verse 9 helps us understand the why, and this leads to our third point. Why we can't trust our heart. It says this starting in verse 9. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The human heart cannot be trusted. It's deceitful. It cannot be healed. It's desperately sick. It cannot be understood. Who can understand it? Now, who wants to put their trust in something like that? But that is exactly what we do every time we choose to ignore God and do things our own way. Every time we choose sin, we're acting like that desert shrub instead of that well-rooted tree. And so if that's true, that our hearts are deceitful, that they're sick, they're, they're incomprehensible, then the next verse, if we read it honestly, it should cause us to shudder a little bit. Look at verse 10 with me. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So did you catch that? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So God sees with perfect vision and knows with perfect clarity and judges with perfect justice what is in your heart. One pastor says, How alarming it is to know that the deceitful above all things heart falls under the seeing all things gaze of Almighty God. How frightening to know that the unknowable heart is known by God. How terrifying to know that God judges the heart, rewarding each person according to the fruit of his deeds. So what do we do? Well, we should start by crying out to God and asking him for mercy. That's just what Jeremiah does. That's what we did this morning during our confession. Look with me down at verse 14. It says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Now what is that? That that right there is a desperately sick heart's cry for healing. It's an unsavable heart's cry for salvation. Because only God is able to cure the incurable heart. And not only does he search and he knows the heart, he knows how to fix it. And that's good news. And this is a mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes a, a deceitful, sick heart, a heart that's bent away from him, and he comes and he heals it from sin. He turns a rebellious heart towards himself. And that's what happens when we put our trust in God. If you're a believer, you're someone whose heart has been cured by the grace of God. And so, how do we get from that that cursed shrub out in the desert to that blessed tree planted by water? Well, this is only a work of Christ in you. There's this beautiful story in Acts 16 about a woman named Lydia. We don't know much about Lydia, but we know that she was born with a a deceitful and incurable heart, just like us. But as she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preach, it says this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and we know that she was saved that day. What an amazing picture of what happens when we come to Jesus. The Lord opened her heart. A heart cannot be fixed on its own, But God can send his Holy Spirit to open, to fix, and to heal that heart. And that's exactly what happens when we turn to him in faith and repentance. And so has the Lord cured your heart today? If so, then be like that tree planted by the water of life. Stretch out your roots and be planted in Christ. 
And if your heart is not cured this morning, I I encourage you to pray that same prayer Jeremiah prayed. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. If you're here and you haven't put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, I urge you today, turn to him. The Bible says that when we do, he takes a dead heart of stone and he replaces it with an alive heart of flesh. He raises us from spiritually dead and makes us spiritually alive. It's only those with a heart of flesh that are planted by the streams of water that well up into eternal life. So before we close, I want to briefly circle back to this idea of the tree who produces fruit in heat and drought because I think that's where most of us in this room as believers need God's grace daily. And to you, I say with Jeremiah, trust in the Lord. Now you may be thinking, dude, you came from Grenada to tell us to trust in the Lord. Like I hear you, but that doesn't really help me when my marriage is falling apart. Or when my children have strayed from the faith with no sign of return. Or when I deeply desire to have children, but we can't conceive. Or when we do, we lose them. Or when I've pressed into Jesus and prayed for years that my depression would lift like just a little, but still I suffer. Beloved, hear the words of Jesus speaking to you this morning. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Your situation may not change, but God can change your heart in the midst of that situation. And how you respond now will be radically different than how you responded before only because of Christ is at work in you. Like when David suffered, he lamented, How long, O Lord? But he didn't despair. He didn't curse God. Instead, he said, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. As, Brent, as Brad said way back in our Rest and Root series, Christ from whom streams of living water flow, who is the stream transplants us from the desert wasteland to life in him. We can trust him because he is good. He is sovereign. He is wise. And if we bank our hope on that, when the heat comes, we can say it is well. And when we're weary from drought, we say it is well. And when we're tempted to despair, It is well, it is well with my soul. As we await the day where there will be no more heat or drought or curse, Christ has given us a tangible sign of an eternal reality that we remind ourselves of each week. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after breaking it, he blessed it. He passed it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this is the new covenant marked by the shedding of my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he returns. 
Today we are announcing that Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to entrust with our hearts. Our tradition here at Antioch is to walk down the center aisle to take a piece of the bread, to dip it in the cup. If you're a baptized believer, we want to invite you to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. If you're not, we, we want to just encourage you, instead of taking this meal with us this morning, take the real thing. Take Christ today. He's made himself available to you this very moment. There will be pastors and other leaders in the back that are eager to pray for anyone that has need. Let's pray. Father, we, again, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray right now for those here that need to stretch and strain and put their trust in you. Those in this room, Lord, I know that there are a lot, there's a lot going on in this church right now. And so, God, I pray that, they, that we would feel your nearness, that we would continue to put our trust in you, Lord, that, that your spirit would continue to bear fruit in us. And God, we thank you for this meal that we're about to take. We thank you for Christ who made any of this even possible. I pray that we wouldn't just come down here and, and take this as some ritual that we do, but Lord, that we, would, that we would truly understand the weight and the joy that is this meal. God, we, we thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.